the, uh, from the testimony from Mackenzie, just getting, uh, getting tickled by her explanation was awesome to just getting blasted with encouragement. I, I think I went through a roller coaster of emotions just now. Whew, wow. Is anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord? All right, so we want to first of all turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21 in the Amplified Classic. By the way, it looks like we have some first-time visitors. First time? All right, if it's your first time here, go ahead and stand up. Just want to uh, have, give you a chance to introduce yourself and tell us where you're from. All right. All right. Yeah, I noticed you have the same last name. Are y'all married? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, you're going to be very blessed tonight. We're so glad to have you with us. Give them a round of applause. All right. Any other first-time visitors? Every, every, a lot of people have masks on or are hiding, so that's okay. <laughs> All right. Here's our, our scripture we're going to read. Are you there yet? If you're there in your Bible, say amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. It says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also utensils of wood and earthenware, and some for honorable and noble use, and some for menial and ignoble use. So whoever cleanses himself, say whoever. I can't hear y'all tonight. Y'all going to have to pipe up. Say whoever. So whoever cleanses himself from what is ignoble and unclean, who separates himself from contact with contaminating and corrupting influences, will then himself be a vessel set apart and useful. Say, say useful. For honorable and noble purposes, consecrated and profitable to the master, fit and ready for any good work. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this opportunity for your word to go forth. We ask you to transform us. Everybody who's sitting here and online, invite God to transform you tonight by his word. I know that you have things that are inside that are deep and heavy and things that you wouldn't tell a soul, but God knows what's going on inside of you. And tonight he wants to transform you. So I just want you to go ahead and ask Jesus to transform you as you hear his word and experience his love. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your Spirit of revelation, spirit of knowledge and understanding and discernment, I thank you for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let us behold you tonight in Jesus' name. All right. So if you could leave that scripture up there just for reference, please. Thank you. <clears throat> Talking about going from being unclean to being clean and the difference between the two. Uh, how many of you guys have ever had a, a family member in the military or served in the military? Raise your hand. Awesome, awesome. So I think a lot of people are going to understand this story. Uh, I'm currently serving, had, had a chance already to serve 12 years, and I was talking to a major the other day who served 15 years. And uh, for, for those of you know, who know, people in the military like to share stories from basic training. So... He shared a story with me that I, I thought was, was really applicable to being clean and really just 
washing yourself. So he said, uh, he was there with his, he was a private in the army and his, his battle buddy was there. And he said his battle buddy just always smelled like a sack of garbage. And he was like, man, what is wrong with this? This is terrible. So it got so bad that the drill sergeants called everybody out into the hallway, toe the line. Everyone toes on the line in the hallway, stand at attention. Drill sergeant's going. And he's, he made everybody go and get their personal hygiene kit and pull out of their little bag. Hold up your washcloth. Boom. Well, this, this private who just smelled terrible holds up a bath towel. He said, all right, everyone put it back. Now hold up your bath towel. He holds up the same towel. Drill sergeant notices this. This is kind of weird. So he gets in front of him. He says, all right, hold up your shampoo. Holds up VO5. Puts it back. Hold up your body wash. He pulls out of the bag the same shampoo, VO5. All right, hold up your soap. It's the same. It's the exact same bottle. It's the shampoo. And all he's got is this big, big old bath towel and this shampoo. And he's like, you think, you think I'm dumb, private? You think I don't realize that you're pulling out the same wash and the same towel? No wonder you always smell like you walked out of the garbage dump. All of a sudden, Private McNulty starts laughing. And so the drill sergeant always, when they see you laughing, you know, something's, something's coming for you. So he says, all right, McNulty, you're going to take your battle buddy into the shower, and you're going to teach him how to clean himself. So Private McNulty takes his, his friendly and fresh, strong not muscular strong, but odor strong, into the shower and begins to walk him through how to <laughs> conduct personal hygiene. And first of all, asked him, how do you do it? He says, well, I, I use this towel. I, I, I use this towel to you know, wash myself, and I use the same towel to dry myself. So it's always wet. And I don't really know what this, this shampoo thing is. So they're like, wow, this guy really doesn't know how to actually wash himself. So they went through the process, no joke, Barney style. How do you shampoo? How do you use body wash? How do you use a washcloth? How to dry yourself off with a dry towel and not a wet towel? And the guy was like, man, thanks guys. I never, I never knew this. How, how grateful he was that now he figured out how to wash himself. Everybody say, wash yourself. Now look at that person next to you and say, wash yourself. <laughs> hey, it is, it is important to have hygiene, amen? No, what's interesting is there's such a need for people to learn how to wash themselves. And that's what the scripture even says uh, in the next verse, in verse 21. It actually says, if anyone cleanses himself... That means anyone can be cleansed. Anyone can be cleansed if anyone cleanses himself from these things. What's interesting is on Halloween night, which was one week ago, we were here in this same room having a corporate deliverance service, and we were getting washed clean. Curses were being broken. Hearts were being healed. Jesus was healing the brokenhearted and setting the captive free. And it was an amazing experience. If you were here and you got touched by Jesus that night, give a shout and say, yeah! yeah. I found that was interesting because I went home and I got the law enforcement report, which is something I have another honor to do is serving as a police officer. I got the law enforcement shift report 
and it was the most, all three supervisors who have worked for, uh, one of them has worked for 30 years on the night shift, said this was the most violent night of their entire law enforcement career. In 30 years, they had never seen a more violent night. In 30 years, they had never seen more shootings, more murders than they did on Halloween night. Just next door, just adjacent to us meeting here in this building, in the city next to us, that was happening. There's a need for people to be cleaned. Imagine if those people who are out there committing acts of violence were in here getting set free, getting delivered and healed. How different would the world be and how different would the crime report be? There's a need to be clean. In fact, as I was walking around and Jesus was setting the captives free and healing us, I actually heard the Holy Spirit say, everything that's valuable must be cleaned. Everything that is valuable must be cleaned. I started to see different items. I started to get a picture of a diamond ring covered in mud. All of a sudden, Jesus is cleaning it. That diamond ring gets clean and bling, bling, it's shining. Next thing I see is a big mansion. This mansion is illustrious, enormous, but on the inside, it's never been cleaned. Think of those things inside of the house that are cleaned. It shows value when you clean something. If you are a parent here, if you're a parent here, shout out. Yes, parents, we're very hesitant to shout today. <laughs> Must be very rough. But, as a parent, though, you show value to your child by cleaning your child. When they're young, you change your son or daughter's poopy diaper, and you're showing value, giving your child a bath, taking care because you value that which you clean, you value. And if you value yourself, you will do what it takes to be clean. And here it says, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel that is worthy and of use, useful for the master. The master is the one who made us. The master is Jesus, the one who created us and fashioned us. And we have Angela here tonight who served in the army. She served in the army. And I got to ask you, Angela, what happens if you were to fire an M16, your duty weapon, if it was full of sand and dirt, if it was unclean, what would happen? She says it would jam, it wouldn't work. You would get misfire. All of a sudden, you would be ineffective on the battlefield. And how do you fix that weapon when it's jamming, when there's sand on the inside? For those who have deployed to Afghanistan, the sandbox, all these, you have to take it apart, disassemble it in order to clean it. You got to get that thing, in, and it's, it's almost impossible to get it fully clean. In fact, the star chamber always has carbon buildup, and it's... You, it's like you never pass inspection. You take it back to the drill sergeant again and again and again and again. They're like, nope, I found this, I found this, I found this, I found this. Clean there, clean there, clean there. It's not just the baby that needs to be cleaned. It's the mature Christian that also needs to be cleaned. And you shouldn't be ashamed of being cleaned or getting washed because that shows that you're valuable. Everything 
that is valuable must be cleaned, the Holy Spirit said to me. You know, if, if you've ever uh, seen Evangelist Reinhard Bonnke, does anybody, has anyone ever seen Evangelist Reinhard Bonnke? I've had the chance to meet him. He's won uh, actually billions of souls to Christ. He just went on to be with the Lord. And I was listening to him. He said he, he was invited to debate an atheist. In this debate, the atheist looked at Evangelist Reinhard Bonnke and said, Reinhardt, you Christians say that the blood of Jesus has power to cleanse. But Jesus died over 2,000 years ago, and there's still problems, evil. Horrendous things are happening in the world today, so I say that the blood of Jesus has no power to cleanse. Evangelist Reinhard Bonnke says, well, you could be in the most luxurious hotel. You could have the most high-class bar of soap sitting right next to you on next to your bed on your on your nightstand. And you could look at that bar of soap and say, "That bar of soap has no power to cleanse." But you would be wrong in your statement. That bar of soap has power to cleanse, but only when applied. The same principle is with the blood of Jesus. When you apply the blood of Jesus to your life, you will be cleansed. When you apply the blood of Jesus to your life, you will be healed. When you apply the blood of Jesus, that is when you will see that the power is there to cleanse your soul. I want to be clean. I want to be useful for the master. Is anybody here that's come desperate to be used by the master? Is there anybody here that has come with a desire and a heartfelt motivation inside that I want to be clean if there is anything unclean? Lord, get it out of me. Is there anybody in here? Am I preaching to the right crowd tonight? Is there anybody that wants to be clean? Tonight's sermon is called Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Behold actually means to know and cherish. And tonight, you will know and cherish the Lamb of God as you behold him. There's actually a progression throughout history. That progression, we're going to take a little walk just to see the progression of the Lamb. The Lamb in Genesis 22, verses 6 through 13. Turning your Bibles in the New King James Version, Genesis 22, verses 6 through 13. When you're there, just say amen, or you can look up on the big screen. The progression of the lamb starts here, Genesis 22, 6 13. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. So Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? for a burnt offering. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Everybody say, a lamb for a man. A lamb for a man. Let's fast forward to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verses 21. Verse 21 through 23 in the New King James. Exodus chapter 12. Verse 21, then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop. Everybody say hyssop. Dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. Everybody say a lamb for a household. A lamb for a household. There we see Passover. They're placing the blood of the lamb on the lintel of the doorpost, uh, on the lintel and on the doorpost, and only the blood had the power to turn away death from the door. Now I want to fast forward to Leviticus. We're, we're, we're in the progression of the lamb. Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt Offering, we're fast forwarding to verse 15. Verse 15 says, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat, so he shall make atonement for the holy place. Because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions for all their sins, and so he shall do. For the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness, there shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel, Israel, 600,000 people, the nation, everyone say a lamb for a nation. So now we've, we've seen 
a lamb for a man where Abraham takes his son and God provides for himself the sacrifice. Then we see the Passover. We see the lamb for a family. And now in the book of Leviticus, we see the blood being sprinkled on the mercy seat behind the veil. The veil was separation. Only the high priest could go in to the most holy place once a year and he had to carry blood. He had to take blood to pay for the sins of the people. That was to pay for the sins of the people for that year in advance. He would sacrifice that lamb, and that would cover the sins for the year to come. Lamb for a man, lamb for a household, lamb for a nation. And then we fast forward to the book of John, where John the Baptist is there at the Jordan River and he sees Jesus approaching. And John the Baptist is there and he is crying out and then he lays his eyes on Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb who has come. Looks like we have John the Baptist here. John the Baptist, come to the front and let us know what, is, what it is that you want to say so all the people can, can see and hear you. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Y'all give John the Baptist a hand. Jesus said, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist cried out for the people to repent. And when, he, when John the Baptist laid eyes on Jesus, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A lamb for a man, a lamb for a household, a lamb for a nation, and a lamb for the world. Behold the Lamb. And now we're going to play a video as we behold the Lamb of God. Oh, 
do not take wings. We're here tonight is to behold the lamb. We're going through the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. And the first one is found in Luke chapter 23 in verse 34 from the passion translation. The first thing Jesus said while hanging on the cross with blood dripping down his head, down his face from the crown of thorns. The first thing Jesus said 
is while they were nailing, Luke 23, 34 says, while they were nailing Jesus to the cross, he prayed over and over, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus is crying out to the Father and the first thing he goes into is intercession. Jesus who stole away to go and spend time alone with the Father to go off to the mountain and pray is crying out to the Father in intercession for us to be forgiven, for mankind to be forgiven. Jesus is saying it over and over with his, his arms stretched nine inches out of socket and nails, five-inch iron nails driven through his wrists on that cross. Jesus is such in such deep prayer that even in his agony and pain, he's crying out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And as a soldier spits in his face and as his beard is ripped out, he's crying out, Father, forgive them. That's the true definition of intercession. He's interposing himself on behalf of us. He's actually answering what was written of him 600 years, 600 plus years. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53, 12 says, because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Here we see Jesus fulfilling that scripture, making intercession, making intercession. He became prayer and showed us what true intercession really is. In fact, Jesus knew that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Can you imagine if Jesus had had not prayed for us, had not shed his blood for us. There would be no forgiveness available. Jesus is answering the cry of Job. Job in chapter 9, Job 9, 32 and 33. Job 9, 32 and 33. Job cries out, For God is not a man as I am, that I may answer him and that we should go to court together, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Whenever I see Jesus, his arms outstretched, I hear Job's cry that there's no mediator. There's no one who can connect man to God because God was not a man, but now Jesus came the Son of God became the Son of Man. He becomes a man, and it's like he's answering Job's cry. With one hand, he's reaching up to the Father and shedding his blood, and with another hand, he's reaching down to us, mankind, to bring us together. First thing Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second thing Jesus said hanging there on the cross comes from Luke 23, Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. And this is out of the New King James Version. 
Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Has anyone ever seen the movie Taken? Anyone ever seen the movie Taken? Uh, almost, almost one and a half people have seen it. <clears throat> so, if you've seen it, I'll, I'll just briefly describe the movie Taken. Liam Neeson is there. He's a CIA operative. And his teenage daughter goes on a vacation to Paris. Soon as she gets there to Paris... She's uh, lured into taking this selfie with one of the locals there who's got an accent, and he takes her picture. Somehow they exchange contact information. He invites her to a party. What ends up happening is this teenage girl and her best friend, they get tracked down by Albanian sex traffickers, and when the Albanian sex traffickers come into that room in their, their apartment, they start uh, abducting them. And Liam Neeson's daughter is underneath the bed with the, the cell phone that her dad gave her. And he said, call me and let me know where you are every day. So she calls her dad and she's like, dad, I'm in trouble. I'm scared. They're coming to take me. And he just gives her very precise instructions He's like, leave the phone on and move it closer to them. They're going to take you, but I'm going to, I'm going to come for you. I'm going to come and rescue you. All of a sudden, you know, she, she hears the footsteps walk out the door. The screech of the door slams shut. She thinks they're gone. Next thing she know, next thing she knows, her ankles are being grabbed. She's being dragged out the door and she's abducted. All of a sudden, she's held captive doing things that she does not want to do. She's being sexually assaulted. Her cell phone falls into the hands of her abductors. The Albanian sex trafficker is on the phone. On the other end of the phone is Liam Neeson, her dad, the teenage girl's dad. And the CIA operative, Liam Neeson, he says, if you give over my daughter now, this will be the end of it. But if you do not, I will find you and I will kill you. I've acquired a very specific set of skills over an entire career, which makes me very scary for people like you. To which the Albanian sex trafficker replies, good luck. The entire movie is this, this dad fighting through and tracking down tracing out, sniffing out the trail of these sex, sex traffickers to where they have taken her. And he fights his way through tight security, 
places that no one else is able to get into. He's able to get into, gains access, kills a lot of people to get to his daughter. And the moment that stuck with me when I saw the movie was you see her, you see his daughter with a numb look on her face and she's just tied up. She's tied up in this room being held captive. Outside the door is her dad just beating the living daylights out of all these people left and right, left and right. And as one man, he makes it through the thousands of ranks of enemy. And when you bust through that door, all of a sudden you see the look on her face, her face all of a sudden going from numb to having hope. And you can see that, that feeling of love that she feels that her dad came all the way across the world and found her, and she just says, you came for me. And that is Jesus on the cross rescuing us. He's the one who came for us. He's the one who fought through every single enemy and every single destroyer that came to take us out. And we were held bondage because of our decisions and going astray and doing things that our father told us not to do, but we did it anyway. His love for us sent Jesus to come and be our rescuer. And God did that because God wants you with him. God wants you with him so bad that on the cross, as he is dying, as he is suffocating and his lungs are filling up with fluid, he's asphyxiating and he's taking in breaths with his with nails through his feet and his quads locking up, arms outstretched. In order to take a breath while on the cross, you have to either push up from your feet or you have to pull up from your shoulders and from your arms. And your, your arms quickly give out. They're stretched out of socket from the jolt of the cross being taken up and then boom, dropped into that hole. It shreds all the sinews and muscles in your deltoid. Quickly, your quads seize up and the muscles give out. And the, that pushing up or that pulling continuously and your lungs are in a situation where they're, they're constantly being constricted and your, Jesus is there on the cross going through this for you, suffocating, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance as there's a criminal on his right and a criminal on his left. One of them is, is saying, if you are the Christ, then save yourself and us. The other criminal is saying, Lord, remember me. Which criminal are you tonight? Which criminal are you? Are you the one that's looking skeptically to Jesus and saying, if you are the Christ? Are you the one who's looking down and looking down your nose at the Christians saying, oh, they, they're silly, they're, they're a bunch of hypocrite, hypocrites? Are you that criminal that's saying, if you are the Christ, saying, Jesus, prove yourself? Or are you the one that's looking at Jesus and saying, Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, you will be with me today in paradise. Let me bring it to modern day. Modern day, who would we, who would get the death penalty? What type of crimes would you have to, com to, have to commit to warrant capital punishment, a capital fel felony? I won't list them all out, but for the sake of time, 
you have to murder multiple people, multiple people at once. Multiple murders in the same offense. Or another one that falls under capital offense, which can be punishable by death, is committing certain felonies, uh, committing murder in, during the commission of other felonies, such as kidnapping. If you murder someone while kidnapping, then that's a capital felony. If you murder somebody while committing arson, that's a capital felony. If you murder somebody during burglary, that is also a capital, capital felony. So think of what these guys are, are hanging on the crosses, the, those crosses for, what they are guilty of, and how powerful must the blood of Jesus be to be able to say to that man who has no time to do anything for God, who has no time to go and get baptized and tell his family and get his certificate and go to Sunday school and pray and go to intercession. He has no time for any of it. He spent his life committing crimes worthy of death. And in his last hour is able to look to Jesus. Jesus the scripture says his visage, that means his countenance, was marred. That means disfigured more than any man. He didn't look the same as those criminals to his right and his left. And in fact, the scripture teaches us that he was unrecognizable as a man. Having gone through the whipping post, where the soldiers, the Roman soldiers took that wooden handle with leather straps, 16 to 24 inches, each embedded with glass, metal and bone fragment, and they reared back professional torturers, and they twisted that cat of nine tails and twist, rip flesh coming off of Jesus with one lash, Nose, eyes, belly, buttocks, hamstring ripped off. A lot of people try to say that it was 39. That's Jewish law for scourging. That is not Roman law. Roman law is unlimited amount. Many people died. Their bodies went into shock. You understand that there was a wooden post in Jesus' belly that he was strung out over as his wrists, as his arms were out in front of him, they were, they were bound, and in his belly was that wooden post. And they began lashing all Jesus' back and then flipped him over and lashed his front. Such blood loss, such love for those that are guilty. Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't come for those who are well, but for those who are in need. Those who are sick. Jesus is so selfless, he went from paradise to poverty. He went from heaven to hell. Jesus went from majesty to mockery. In fact, in, after he went through that scourging that I just gave you a, a hint of, he went into the praetorium surrounded by an entire garrison of soldiers. That is 600 soldiers who mocked him one by one. 
shoved a crown of thorns upon his head, digging through his scalp, and they grabbed a reed. Each one of them said, mockingly, as they mockingly bowed the knee, they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they smote him on the head with this reed, spitting in his face, ripping out his beard, but Jesus didn't turn away. He didn't turn away. He went from being celebrated in heaven to being crucified on earth. That brings us to the third thing Jesus said, Mark chapter 15, verse 34. Jesus cries out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus goes from interceding and saying, Father, forgive them, to now it's actually the world itself has gone totally black, totally dark. From noon to 3 p.m., it's completely black. This is Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have to imagine how it felt because Jesus is the one who had prayed in John 17 and verse 5, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I'm sure we've all been to the weddings where they have the dance for the people that have been married the longest. You got people out there that have been married for 70 years and they're the last ones on the dance floor. Now, can you imagine those two being separated? Those two being separated. Many times when you see a, a married couple like that separated by death, the spouse dies one day and the next day the, the husband or the wife dies the next day. There's such a connection. Much deeper is the connection between Jesus and the Father. Nothing is worse than being forsaken when you're that close to somebody. When you're that in love, the love that Jesus and the Father share, he had to experience that going away, being taken away. <clears throat> I have to share a story here of one of my high school buddies, uh, <clears throat> workout buddy, Big Remy. We, we were in the gym, always just at Lifetime Fitness together, just going crazy, putting extra, you know, sneaking extra weights on each other's bar. Like we're in the middle of the set, all of a sudden slap another 45. And it was just one of those great workout buddies, no limits type of guy. But he was real crazy. He was always, <clears throat> uh, always either gaining 20 pounds or losing 20 pounds in, in a span of five days. It was something crazy going on with him. But we always just saw him in the weight room and invited him to go places uh, it was me and my other buddy, Seth, and we were like, hey, uh, Big Remy, you want to come hang out with us? We're going to, we're going to youth group. He's like, no, nah, man, no, nah, I, can't, I, I can't do that. And we keep on every time after a workout, hey, uh, can we come hang out with you? He's like, no, nah, man, y'all don't want to hang out with me. It was always sort of a mystery, but he was always very generous with giving us rides. He said, uh, if you ever need a ride, just let me know. Well, me and my, my friend Seth didn't have a car, so we were calling him quite often. Hey, can you give us a ride? He's like, sure, uh, I'm, in, I'm over in Dallas right now, but I'll drive to McKinney and give you all a ride. 
his drive 45 minutes and always show up in a different car. Always some top of the line, like Z7 Corvette, some crazy, you know, BMW, just all top of the line cars and always something different. And he drove like pedal to the metal. I'm talking about ripping around turns, just flooring it, acceleration, just pushing those cars to the max. And always death metal. All the way up music, just, I mean, just sound terrible. And he's always like smashing his head on the steering wheel, like ripping out his hair, just getting pumped up for the workout. It was just like, oh man, he's on a different schedule, a different lifestyle. Big Remy, this was him. One day we didn't see Big Remy. Like, man, uh, where is he? He's always in the gym at this time, and he, he's always telling us, updating us on how much he weighs. So <clears throat> we're like, we just keep going, keep going. Weeks go by. A couple months go by. Don't see him, don't hear him. Like, man, what, what is going on? All of a sudden, I get a call from Big Remy, and uh, he's like, hey, man, I, I know I haven't uh, really opened up about my life, but... I just wanted to share what's been going on, you know, because he was somebody we would always, always talk to and, and always try to get to hang out with us, so he shared, but he was, he was always just kind of sealed off, so he said, man, uh, just to be honest with you, I never, never felt good about hanging out with you guys because uh, my job is actually I get hired by these these elderly people who give me unlimited credit cards to go have sex for hire with different people, males, females, all different types of random people. And that's how I get the cars and that's how I do what I do. And uh, he said, recently my, who I thought was my best friend overdosed from drugs in the, in the top of a penthouse. And I tried to save him. I drove him as fast as I could to the hospital, but he ended up not making it. And uh, he said, I ended up getting... Uh, a week later, I ended up getting in a car accident myself, and the ambulance picked me up off the highway. I was flung from my car. They, they thought I was dead. I, I think I was dead, but during my experience on the hospital bed, I actually found myself in a place that was the worst place I've ever been, and I was surrounded by darkness, and I was in the midst of flames, and there were these big, scary creatures that were just dragging me down and clawing me and dragging me down, and I was trying to fight, I was trying to fight, and I was just getting completely exhausted and exhausted, fighting and fighting for hours is what it seemed like. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of that pit, and he described like the most horrible feeling the most horrible like emotions of feeling nothing good, an absence, a complete absence of anything good. And he said in the midst of him being in the flames of hell, he saw a hand with uh, a, a scar in the wrist pull him out of those flames. And he came to, came to consciousness and woke up in his hospital bed. He had actually seen as he was looking down into the right in those flames, he saw his best friend who had overdosed. And he was just crying out his name. He was just crying out his name, Kyle, Kyle. So when he jolted up, 
all of a sudden they're like, oh, snap, you know, he's uh, big Remy's back. And they're like, hey, what's your name? Asking him questions to see if his faculties work. And he's just screaming, Kyle, 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 because he lost his friend. Uh, and his friend didn't, didn't go to heaven because he didn't know Jesus. And he said, man, after that experience, I, uh, I started taking seriously what you guys had said. I started looking into the Bible and I, I ended up coming to um, find Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And now I'm out here. I've put together a team where, and I'm going to go out and we're going to feed the homeless for Thanksgiving. I was just like, man, that's awesome. But Big Remy, if he was here, he would tell you, you don't want to experience what it's like to be forsaken. There's plenty of people out there who tell me how horrible, horrible their life is. And <clears throat> there's people there that I've seen blow, you know, blow their brains out and things that you don't want to have to see in law enforcement that you do see. But there's nothing worse than being forsaken and going to a place called hell meant for the devil and his angels that you as a human being, a creation of God, was never designed to go there. Big Remy felt for one moment what it was like to be separated from God. Why was, why was Jesus separated? Why was Jesus forsaken? Why did the Father turn his face away? I have to go to the scriptures to find the answer. The answer, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us. What else in the scriptures? Romans 3.25 tells us, Romans 3.25 tells us whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood to demonstrate his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. When Jesus came to Calvary's cross, he didn't just take the effects. He actually became the source. He became sin itself. We know that the Father is righteous, holy, and just, so the Father turns away from sin. It's what the Puritans used to say, that the righteousness of God, they, was, they would describe that the righteousness of God is the righteousness that his righteousness requires him to require. That means God requires 100% perfection to get into heaven to be in fellowship with him, and nothing less. 99%? No. 99% righteous will not do it. Only 100% righteous when Jesus became sin, he was satisfying the wrath of God against sin. In Romans 3.25, it says that, he, that God might be just. If there is a righteous judge, the judge must punish sin, correct? There has to be an assigned punishment for the wrong, for the crime, for the sin. But it also says that he's the justifier, well, to be justified means to be declared right. If I'm going to declare Pastor Keith right and let him go from the courtroom, but there was sin committed, it still has to be paid for. It still has to be paid for. So Jesus said, I will pay for his sin. I will pay for your sin. I will pay for your sin. I will pay for your sin. The word propitiation 
is the Greek word hilasterion, which is the same word for mercy seat. The same word for mercy seat. That brings us to the fourth thing Jesus said on the cross. John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. Jesus is hanging from the cross, and he says, Mother, look, John will be a son to you. John, look, she will be a mother to you. John is there, Jesus' disciple, with Mary, the mother of Jesus. How selfless that Jesus is taking care of family while he's on the cross dying. He's taking care of relationships. There's relationships that God has given to you. Here we see Jesus handing the care of his mother into his beloved disciple, John. There's relationships that God has given you that he has put in your hands. Those relationships mean more than you'll ever know. And Jesus is showing us the relationships matter, that he's willing to take care of his family on the cross while he's in severe pain. What's the most severe pain that you've endured? Maybe it was something you got hit in the head with a paintball or a baseball at the batting cages or got a bloody nose. For me, the worst experience was the gas chamber, getting sprayed with CS, CS pepper spray, or OC spray, bear spray. All those experiences were severe, but I'll tell you what, when I was in the gas chamber, I wasn't thinking about anybody else. I wasn't, well, what happens whenever you, when you get hit, boom, you start, oh, you start, you know, putting a hand on it, taking care of yourself. You're not thinking about others, but Jesus is there bleeding, hanging, thinking about others. Jesus cares about relationships. Who has he placed in your hands? Who has Jesus placed in your hands? That brings us to the fifth thing Jesus said. It comes from John 19, verse, verse 28. John 19, 28. Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. He hadn't had anything to drink since the night before. Already went through severe Severe dehydration in the Garden of Gethsemane while he was praying. He sweat drops of blood. Now we know that that's a medical condition, hematidrosis, where the capillaries burst and the longest surviving victim of hematidrosis only lived 15 minutes. We know that Jesus prayed for the Father to save him from this hour He was dying. Jesus doesn't mince words when he said, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. He was dying prematurely. He was dying, but he was asking to get to the cross to fulfill what was written of him, to get to the whipping post what was written of him. Now he is here on the cross saying, I thirst, fulfilling what the scripture had said about him. I must fulfill what is written of me. He's still able to think I must Fulfill what is written of me. 
Well, where is it written of Jesus that he would say, I thirst? Psalm chapter 22 and verse 15. Psalm chapter 22 and verse 15. Also Psalm, verse, Psalm chapter 69 and verse 21. Jesus knows the scriptures so well. In fact, he is the word that he's quoting scripture there on the cross. I thirst. Determined to purchase your salvation, suffering dehydration severely. I already described the scourging to you. That severe dehydration. Loss of blood. If you've ever lost blood, especially a lot of blood, you understand how thirsty you would be with loss of fluids. We see that the soldiers hear Jesus cry out, I thirst. What's interesting is, I had you say this word at the beginning, they grab hyssop to apply. This mixture of sour vinegar mixed with gall, which was actually an anesthetic. They would use this anesthetic. There was a group of women who would put together this sour vinegar mixed with gall to anesthetize the pain. And it says that that sour, sour vinegar mixed with gall was offered to Jesus with hyssop. It was put to his lips with hyssop. Hyssop is the exact same thing that was used, the exact same plant that was used when we, when we talked about the Passover. The lamb for a household, the lamb of the blood was applied with hyssop over the lintel and with hyssop on the doorposts. Blood running down from the crown of thorns on Jesus' head, blood running down from his wrists, his nail-pierced hands. We see the picture from Exodus of the Lamb of God, the blood, which is the only thing that has the power to turn away death from the door of the family of the Israelites and from your family. That brings us to the sixth thing Jesus said on the cross, John 19 and verse 30. Are y'all still with me out there? This is John 19 and verse 30. Jesus cries out, it is finished. The sixth thing Jesus said is, it is finished. And the sixth day, God finished creation. We know that the seventh day he rested. Now we see the sixth thing Jesus says on the cross is, it is finished. Well, what is finished? Separation from God is finished. Whenever Jesus hung and died on the cross, that veil that separated mankind from entering the Holy of Holies and having access to the Spirit of God, which hovered over the mercy seat, the way that it was, the Spirit of God could not dwell inside of sinful man. All through the Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God came upon Samson. The Spirit of God did mighty things, but it would come and go, come and go, come and go. There was no such thing as the Holy Spirit dwelling inside and inhabiting a human vessel. What is finished? Separation from God is finished. That veil was 60 feet high from floor, from floor to ceiling, 30 feet wide, and a hand breadth in thickness. That hand breadth is from thumb to pinky. That is how thick this woven veil was, and it took 300 priests 
to manipulate and move that veil and hang that separating mankind from the presence of God. Behind the veil was the mercy seat. Mercy contained, waiting for blood to be, a, be there to cover the sins. At that time, the high priest is Caiaphas, and he is walking in full priestly garments to go into the holy place and into the most holy place to go and slay the Passover lamb and sprinkle the blood of that lamb on the mercy seat. It was at this exact time on a hill far away, Golgotha. Jesus is shedding his blood as the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. You see, it said it grew dark between the sixth hour and the ninth hour. Between noon and 3 p.m., dark. At noon was the high priest Caiaphas began his procession to slay that lamb. And when Jesus cried, it is finished. That was the exact time when, the, when Caiaphas was entering to slay that Passover lamb, and he would have been right there to see the veil. Rip, not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. God to man, not man to God, God to man. And to see that veil be torn must have been earth shattering. Must have been earth shattering. That giant rip of that veil. Hebrews 9 verses 24 through 26 for those note-takers who, who want to study more, I leave that for you to read on your own at home. It is finished. What else is finished? Sacrifice for sin. Sacrifices for sin are now over. Hebrews 10, verses 19, 19 through 23. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 23. Are we there? Say amen. Sacrifices for sin. And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly and with no hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. And since we now have a magnificent king priest to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God and approach him with an open heart, fully convinced by faith that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. For our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity, and we have been freed from an accusing conscience, and we, now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. So now we must cling tightly to the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps his promises. He who promised is faithful. Say amen. amen. Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 46. This is where we find the last thing that Jesus said on the cross. <sighs> Luke 
Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth. Now I, I did get a chance to study that. That means the entire earth, not just a segment, a, a geographical area. It's the entire earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. It says here that the sun was darkened. Now, critics try to say and explain it away that it was a solar eclipse. That was impossible. It's impossible that it would have been a solar eclipse. Do you know why? Because Passover occurred at the time of a full moon. The position of the moon, the earth, and the sun. In order for there to be any type of eclipse, it has to be a new moon, not a full moon. That means the moon was on the wrong side of the earth for there to be any type of eclipse. This was a supernatural event. The sun grew dark. The veil of the temple was torn in two. Next verse. And when Jesus has, had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Why did Jesus cry out with a loud voice? That's not something that someone who's hanging on a cross being crucified does. Someone hanging on a cross is suffocating and lungs are filling up with fluid. Asphyxiation has set in. He's been on the cross for six hours. Why is he crying out with a loud voice? Why is he crying out? Loudly while suffocating. Well, we know that the people there, the onlookers, esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. They knew that it was written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. So they were numbering him with the transgressors, numbering him with the criminals who hung on his right and left. But wait, why is he crying out with a loud voice? Father! Into your hands I commit my spirit. Something's different with this. This man hanging on the tree is different than the others. Something is different here. The sun grew dark, not an eclipse. Everything revolves around Jesus. Although the Pharisees rejected him and the Romans crucified him, creation always responded to Jesus. Creation responds to Jesus as he's dying on the cross. In fact, the rocks, that means large rocks, were rent asunder. An earthquake, an earthquake shook, and people began coming out of their graves, walking around, having great fellowship time. Intense manifestation, creation. The sun itself grew dark as Jesus breathed his last. Faith the greatest faith statement ever. We already read that the third thing Jesus said was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here Jesus is forsaken, not feeling the connection to the Father. And with faith deep inside, he's crying out to God as Father, even in the midst of not feeling it. Jesus cries out with a loud voice, and yells, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What a wonderful Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise.
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mother, look, John will be a son to you. John, look, she will be a mother to you. I thirst. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In conclusion, I want everybody to know that it's all good to know what's been presented to you today. But if I were to tell my, my airborne soldiers to just go and learn and hear about the parachute that has power to save you when you jump out of the aircraft, do you think that would do any good if they never put it on? If you jump out of the aircraft without putting on the parachute, which has been designed and has the power to save you, do you think you're going to make it when you jump out of that plane? I'm here to tell you, my friend, my brother and sister, you will not make it. You will not make it into heaven if you do not accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And your life on earth may be absolutely horrible, and you may be wanting to give in the towel and give up on everything. But there is no one in here that Jesus is willing to live without. There is no one in here that Jesus is willing to let experience being forsaken and spending the rest of your life in hell. Jesus is crying out to you. I want you. Jesus wants you so bad. But you've got to be the one to say yes. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You've got to respond to Jesus as Lord. And then there, there, there begins that process of being washed, of being cleaned. If you're desperate to be cleaned, whether you've given your life to Jesus before, whatever it is that you're going through right now, if there's something that you want the blood of Jesus and the power of God to touch in your life that you're not willing to walk out of these doors with remaining in your soul, something that's contaminated you and made you feel dishonorable. I want you to stand upon your feet right now because Jesus is going to touch you and his blood is the power to save you. If there's anybody in here that is perfect and doesn't need a touch from God, stay seated. And then that person sitting will pray for us. Every single one of us desperately needs to be cleaned. And God cleaning you is the evidence that he cares about you and that you're valuable to him. <clears throat> There's, we're going to go ahead and start uh, a time of ministry. Um, I know that there are some specific words of knowledge and words of prophecy that are going to be shared here tonight. But before we move into that ministry, I want to give everybody, on ch uh, everybody online and everybody in this room a chance to respond to the gospel that we heard today. If you're feeling the love of God touching your heart and calling to you as he called to me when I was a 10-year-old kid, God called to me in a room like this, and I, I ran to the front and gave my life to Christ, and I've never regretted that decision.
If you're feeling that Jesus is calling you and you've experienced his love tonight, tonight is your night. Now is the day of salvation. If that's you, with all, all eyes bowed, all heads bowed and eyes closed, everyone just close your eyes out of reverence for the moment and bow your head as people are responding to the, the, to the love of God with Jesus there. If you're, if you're feeling separated from God and you want to make things right, you want Jesus to cleanse you of your sin, you want to be that one who cries out and says, Lord, remember me, just slip up your hand. Just slip up your hand and, and make that decision that I want to give my life to Jesus who died for me. Thank you. Thank you for those who are making that decision right now. And I see your hands just... Simply repeat after me. You're, you're, you're personally speaking to God. But what he's doing in your heart is eternal. So we're all going to say this prayer out loud to agree and respond to Jesus. Everyone repeat after me. Father, in Jesus' name, Thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus to die in my place. I repent of all of my sins and I give my life to you. Jesus, be my Lord. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I want to be yours forever. Spirit of Christ, come into me. I receive you, Jesus. I receive the power of your death, your burial in the tomb, and your resurrection three days later. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, it's time to rejoice. There's been people here tonight that gave their life to Christ. Woo! Clap your hands. Yes, so now we're going to all respond. There's, every, there's nobody in here who's not in need of a touch from Jesus, so... What we're going to do is we're going to have uh, the ministry team come up. There's certain people in the audience that uh, members of the leadership team have already spoken to me and said that God's given them a specific prophetic word to say from God to you uh, that's going to be special. So make sure that when you come up, um, you come ready to respond. So if we could get some music playing just in the background, uh, everyone that comes up will be changed. All right, rush the altars. No. Well, this couple. You, yeah, you, you, you stand right here. I got this when I saw you I, I, uh, in worship. One of the songs was about this. It's Revelation 21. And here, I'm going to read it for you. Behold, the tabernacle of God is in.